Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Turn to the book of Luke. We'll read two different passages. One taken from the 10th chapter and one from the 16th chapter. We will begin with the one from the 16th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he has to say. There was a rich man who dressed in the most expensive clothes and lived in great luxury every day. There was also a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who used to be brought to the rich man's door hoping to fill himself with the bits of food that fell from the rich man's table. Even the dog would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side at the feast in heaven. The rich man died and was buried. He was in great pain in Hades, and he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So he called out, Father Abraham, take pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water. And cool off my tongue, for I am in great pain in the fire. But Abraham said, Remember, my son, that in your lifetime you were given all the good things, while Lazarus got all the bad things. But now he is enjoying it here while you're in pain. Besides all that, there's a deep pit lying between us, so that those who want to cross over from here to you cannot do it. Nor can anyone cross over to us from where you are. The rich man said, Well, Father, I beg you, send Lazarus to my father's house, where I have five brothers. Let him go and warn them, so that they at least will not come to this place of pain. Abraham said, Your brothers have Moses and the prophets to warn them. Let your brothers listen to what they say. The rich man answered, That is not enough, Father Abraham. But if someone were to rise from the dead and go to them, Then they would turn from their sins. But Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone were to rise from the dead. Lord, help us to understand what we have just read. At the feast in heaven. At the feast in heaven. Well, I guess you would think that that phrase there would catch my eye. uh, Beings I don't like to eat too well. Uh, but here Jesus is telling this story. He's telling two stories, and we'll read the other one in just a moment, and I'll call your attention to it. But here he is telling us about something that was quite important. Now, if we will get in mind that this symbol of the feast in heaven, a picture of a banquet table, loaded down with every wonderful piece of food, dish of food that you could possibly think of, Everything that you have ever thought of that would be wonderful, delightful, delectable, and that you can't leave alone, and plus many more. And you have in mind something of the picture of what it means to have life completely and totally, to have a whole life. The table, the feast that he's talking about, is a symbol that is used. Notice the symbols that are used in these stories here. 
Whether it be the feast of the banquet table or whether it be a rich man or a poor man, it makes little difference. They're all symbols. And Jesus thought it was so important for us to be able to make sure that we understood what he was talking about. You see what Jesus did. He thought it was so important uh, that he came into this world. He suffered rejection, abuse physically. And at this time of the year, as we are thinking about the trials and tribulations of the Lord Jesus Christ before he was crucified. And then at last we think of him being crucified on the cross, his dying. Remember he said, what does it profit a man if he should gain this whole world and lose his only soul? Jesus was concerned with you and for me. He was concerned about the way we live and the approach that we make to life. And that's the reason why he tells these two stories. And I want to turn now to more specifically to these stories and for us to look at them for what they really are and what the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to say to us. Now we're not going to take too long to talk about it, so listen carefully as I go through this quickly. Because this story is so familiar with every one of us. I think Jesus, in telling these two stories, especially this one, more perfectly chooses his words of description than anywhere else within the scripture. When studying these passages, I, I became conscious of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ chose very carefully the words that he uses here to describe what was taking place. And I am also equally convinced uh, that these were situations that Jesus actually was aware of within life to some degree. That is the heart of the story. He was able and he saw played out an actual existence within the world. And so he takes these stories and this situation and tries to tell us about a way that you and I can live. Well, in fact, he tells us about a way, two ways we can live. One of them stands at the very end of it is destruction. The other way stands the feast of heaven. And that's the way you and I want to live. And so he talks about the rich man who fared sumptuously every day and lived in a great home that had a gate. Now the sin of this man was not to be found in the fact that he was rich. It's not to be found in the fact that he was abusive to the man that was at his gate. He did not order the man to be removed. Day after day, this poor old sickly looking beggar at his gate, full of hideous sores, and even the dogs were there to torment him, failing, weak, defenseless, can you picture a more helpless, hopeless situation than Jesus paints in a few words with this beggar at the gate? The rich man did not say to his who worked for him, I don't want to see that character at my gate tomorrow. No, he was there every day. And seemingly the rich man didn't mind him being there. He didn't mind for him to have the leftovers from his table. He's all right with him. Back in those days, they usually ate uh, probably the rich in, a, in an open type of a, a room and, and they did not have all the fineries of napkins like you and I have, but they had a type of bread that they would use and use their fingers to eat with. They would get a little greasy, they'd wipe their fingers on that bread and then toss it over their shoulder. And in all probability, this is what the poor man was living on and off of. This is a thing that he gathered up. And so 
And there's no mention that the rich man objected to this at all. He didn't object to this poor character living off of the garbage that threw out uh, the bones that he threw over his shoulder uh, with a little meat on it. He didn't mind him gnawing on those bones. He wasn't physically abusive to the man either. When he walked by the gate and saw the poor character there by his gate, he didn't kick at him. He didn't double up his fist and shake his fist at him. He didn't use abusive words to the man. He didn't look at him and say, well, if you had been the, the man that you should have been, and, and if you'd have been careful, and if you'd have worked hard, and if you got up before sunrise, and, and got to bed after sunset, and, and if you'd saved your money, well, you wouldn't be in the miserable condition that you are right now. You see, you find none of that there. It's not there. You see, the sin of this man, and the place where he failed, he just considered this poor man to be a part of the landscape. Now, folks, this is a tragedy of tragedies. He just considered the poor character to be a part of the landscape. It's just as natural for him to be there as it was for him to breathe. I was talking to a man this past week. Now, 15 or 20 years ago, maybe longer, he spent about six months in Hong Kong. And he was telling me that when he went to Hong Kong and the first night that he stayed ashore, he said he didn't sleep a wink all night long. And the reason he didn't sleep a wink all night long is because he heard the poor pitiful cry of the people who were suffering and dying and starving to death in the street. He says he wasn't there over six months before he never missed a, a wink of sleep over the situation. In fact, he said he just tuned them out. He was not even conscious of their cries and calls anymore. He could walk right down the street and, and never even know that they were there and went on about his business. You don't have to check another man's heart to know the possibility of this in our own heart and our own soul. It's a real possibility. About 15 years ago, some of us remember that we were in another campaign. And that was a campaign of reconciliation to address the situation within our country and within a church and within our nation now, that was long past due that needed to be taken care of. And I remember when my church called upon me uh, to lead the church and raise them $20 million. I remember so very well at one of our very best restaurants here within town. I was called by a brother preacher of mine. He says, I'm buying. You come on over and I'll buy for you. And that's such a rarity that I took him up on it. <laughs> and I went over and we were sitting there in this nice, beautiful place. And we got to talking about, because it was in the midst of that campaign, and I remember as we were there, we began to talk about this campaign. And he had bring up one reason why he wasn't for it, and I matched him with one of my own. And then I'd bring up one, and he would come up with another. And we just, for at least 30 minutes, we sit there and thought of all the reasons why we didn't want to be bothered with this $20 million campaign for reconciliation within our church and within, within our country. And then something happened. We came to our senses. And then we began to talk about why we should do it. And the reason for it. And why we needed to do it. And where the hurt was. And how people had been rejected. And offended. And so we come back to the place. Where we should have never left to start with. And begin to think in terms of what is it that we need to do today in order that we might be able to address ourselves to the needs 
of our fellow man. Well, thank God we came to our senses. Thinking it's only part of the landscape. How easy it is for us to come to the place where we think in terms of, well, this is the way that it's always been and this is the way that it's always going to be. Well, friend, I want to tell you, now we don't have to think too much to come to that place. It can just We can just drift into it and when we come to the place, uh, when there's no more caring within our heart and our soul, whether it be an individual or whether it be a church, we have come to the place where the branch is no more productive and it needs to be cut away. Somewhere, someplace, it shall surely be. Because the end result of this type of thinking is eternal damnation. That's precisely what Jesus Christ is talking about. Precisely. Now, if you have your Bible, turn back in the book of Luke to the 10th chapter and beginning with the 30th verse. Now, Jesus is telling another story to present his cause and his way of life. And they're addressed precisely to the same perfect point. One and the same. Both stories. And he uses this story. He says, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When Robert attacked him, stripped him, and beat him up, leaving him half dead. It so happened that a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also came there, went over and looked at the man. That always amazes me. This Levite, he was sort of curious, you know, whoever the character was. At least he went over and looked at the man and walked by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was traveling that way came upon him. And when he saw the man, his heart was filled with pity. He went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds and bandaged them. Then put the man on his own animal and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he told the innkeeper. And when I come back this way, I will pay you back whatever you spend on him. And Jesus concluded, which one of these three seemed to you to have been a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? The teacher of the law answered, the one who was kind to him. Jesus replied, you go then and do the same. Now that's very interesting. The very epitome of the way that a person sh should live is personified, of course, within the Good Samaritan. On the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, a road was known in those days as being the bloody road. You didn't travel that road unless you were in a group to go there alone while you were in risk of happening to you exactly what happened to this poor miserable character. Two men had already passed by. It's interesting to note here again, Jesus chooses his words very carefully. And we who are of the clergy and those in the theological circles didn't fare too well that day in this story. Because you see, these other two characters that day, uh, they were right religious people. And they had a parking place in the temple. They, they were the theology hour and of the day, you see. And I am quite sure that it wouldn't be too far out of character to put it in the mouth of this, uh, the Levite as he went over and inspected the poor character there by the road, if he'd perhaps have said to him, or at least the character calls for it, and his action, well, now the reason that you're in such a miserable condition is because you're a stupid guy to start with. Anybody with a lick of sense wouldn't have been out on this highway to start with, and you shouldn't have been out here. You just must be a loose type of a character. It's your own fault. 
And if you had not been so reckless, if you had been more caring, and if you had been more concerned, and if you had been a little bit more thoughtful, uh, you'd be probably at this very moment just as healthy as I am. So I'm just going to leave you in your misery and go on about my business. I've got important work to do and I can't fool around with someone the likes of you. And then here comes this the Samaritan. This man was not a part of the landscape. He didn't accuse the man. He didn't abuse the man in any way and tell him and pass judgment upon him as his own fault and his own doing. No matter what the fault was, no matter how it had taken place, no matter what the past was, this man was able to see that here's another human being in desperate need and I have what it takes to be of help and service to him. And that's demand enough. And that's all the calling I need. And that's all the authority that I need to take my time to be of help and service to this man that is in such a difficult strait. But you know the real, to me, thing that happens here. The heart of this man, his action comes out when he gets to the motelers of the hotel. Oh, what a reckless character this was, you know. I remember this man very well. He's dead now. And I hope he's at the feast. I'm sure he will be. But I remember that he was quite wealthy and he gave generously to the church. But he had this, maybe this is the way it ought to be. He, when he would give to the church, he would watch his money from the time he gave it to the church. And he wanted to make sure it got precisely where he said it was going to go in every dollar. And he's always questioned me, did it get to where it ought to go? Well, you know, I can't say anything about that. Maybe that's the way we all should be. But not everyone's that way. If I had to choose my way of living, I would like to live and be as reckless as this man, this Samaritan, that in addressing himself to the need of this person, he takes this uh, silver money of his that was hard for him to earn too, and told the innkeeper certain things that he wanted to do. Now I'm going to pay for his needs, and if he needs anything else, why, well, you take care of it, and then I'll pay you when I return. Look how reckless this is. You see, the innkeeper could have thought, well, you know, this is a good way to make a few dollars. I'll carry him on a few days longer than, a, than he needs to be carried. Or here's a sick guy. Well, it's a good thing. Got a good thing going. I'll stay a few days longer. Maybe both of them together would get together and say, well, uh, let's just make a good thing out of this situation and, and split the profit. But this was not the concern of this man. Oh, dear friends, let me say to you, you see the real thing that Jesus was saying, that the action of this man was not in relation to his money, but it was in relation to his commitment to his God. And his commitment to his God forced him or called him to be a person then to another human being, to respond to them and to their need and to their hurt. As to the way that his money was used after he had committed it to this cause was a matter between God and those people. Oh, such hope. Such faith. Such commitment and such dedication. Yes, if I had my way to choose and could live, I would choose the way of this person. The rich man had only his money to think of, and that's all he thought of. Here this man had the same possession of money, but his money was only a means of serving his good. And his kingdom. I guess the real difference between these two people happened to be one of them knew that the gifts were given to him were the gifts of God, really. His talent, 
his ability, his capability of making and earning was a gift outright to God. One of them looked up to God and looked out to his fellow man. The other one only looked to himself and what was around him. My friend, that's a possibility for you and for me today. There's open before you and before me the same opportunity that these people had long ago. Same, same thing. It depends on how we address ourselves to the day that we live as whether or not we're going to make the feast that the Lord Jesus Christ thought was so important that he came and did everything that he did to make it possible for you and I to be a part of that eternal banquet that God has for those who love him. Oh, our Father, may we see the truth of the hour and may we also see something, the greatness of the opportunity of the hour that is upon us today, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 